Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. Undoubtedly, he was highly educated. I believe he was a good equal with Paul at that point in time. He was gifted. He was an engaging teacher. No doubt he had great influence on his audiences as they heard him teach and as he proclaimed what he knew. And what he knew were the Old Testament scriptures. Even Luke tells us that his teachings, as far as they were concerned, they they were correct theologically. They were correct doctrinally as far as the Old Testament goes. But he still did not have the complete gospel. He didn't have it as he taught to the people, neither did he have it really within his own life. Apollos, a wise, dedicated, and vibrant servant of God, received John the Baptist's teaching of repentance. He believed it, understood sin and the need to repent, and taught it with accuracy and fervency. Yet as Pastor David will explain today, He was not teaching a complete gospel. Repentance was important to teach, but without believing in the saving grace of the gospel, you had nothing. With the right teaching of salvation, he became an important pillar of true faith and the gospel. And here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 18 as he begins his message, An Insufficient Gospel. Transitions are always difficult, and I think every one of us have gone through transitions in our life. Some of them much uh, more major than others, some of them not quite as much. I've spoken to a few of you here lately, and you're kind of in that transition looking for a new church home, uh, and you know, that's always difficult, particularly if you've been pretty well vested in the, your, your previous church home, again, uh, spiritually, emotionally the relationships that you have with people, that kind of a change can be so draining. And I don't care what the reason is why you're leaving. Maybe you, you, you've moved, uh, there was a job change, maybe there were issues in the fellowship or the leadership, whatever it is. Uh, it, it's just time to, to do something different or go someplace different. It's still difficult. I, I can still understand that. But there's other changes that we go through in life. Uh, again, um, Sometimes it's because of sicknesses. Sometimes it's because of a death in the family. Those are difficult times. Sometimes it's maybe because there's a new baby in the family. And you know that's going to make a change in your life, right? A new baby in the family will always change. But what about that time when finally that last child moves out and they're on their way to, to college or getting married? That's a transition time too. Sometimes a great party at home, but it is a transition. Some transitions are wonderful. But the fact is, some of them aren't. Some of them are very difficult to go through, and some of them, yeah, man, there's, there's an excitement in the midst of it. Well, 
we've been looking at the book of Acts now for a while, and as we come into the end of chapter 18, the beginning of chapter 19, we actually see that there's a, a transition that's going on within the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. It's that transitional period also for the whole life of the church, and we're going to see that as we continue to get into the book of Acts. But in the midst of that transition, the, the problem is, the issue is, you want to make sure that the gospel itself remains pure and remains complete. Now, the Jewish people, they're, they're still involved in the scene. Uh, there's still going to be Jews that are being saved, Jews that are being brought into the church, but more and more, we're going we're gonna to see this transition of Gentiles coming to a saving faith in Christ, and God's going to bring those Gentiles into the same faith, the same kind of commitment in their lives, the same kind of growth, just as he did uh, at the very beginning with the Jews, calling them to that saving faith in Jesus Christ, that commitment of life to Christ and to the purposes of God. And what we see here also is the fulfillment of Jesus, his prophetic words to the disciples. Remember before he ascended into heaven, he told the disciples, I want you to go to Jerusalem, stay there, until you be endued with power from on high, after that power has come into your life, then you need to then, you will be witnesses for me, both in Jerusalem and then into Judea, then into Samaria, and then into the uttermost parts of the world. And that's what we see happening here. We've seen it over the last couple of chapters in Acts, and it's going to continue on as we go. This is what we see. This is what we're going to be looking at as we go on. Uh, this morning, I want to back up a little bit. Actually, we are at the end of Acts 18. I actually want to back up to verse 19 to kind of give us in the context of where we're at this morning, kind of pick things up so that we can flow into the next chapter fairly easily. It was back in Acts 18, verse 19, where we see that, that Paul, he's finished his second missionary journey. He's getting ready to travel back home. Verse 19 says that Paul came to Ephesus and he left Aquila and Priscilla there in Ephesus. And then verses 20 and 21, they tell us that the ones who were listening to the gospel message there in Ephesus, the ones who came to a saving faith there in Ephesus, they wanted Paul to stay in Ephesus at that time. But we find out in verse 22 that no, he had to leave there. He was on his way to Jerusalem before the feast. So he sailed from Ephesus across the Mediterranean to the city of Caesarea. Once he hit Caesarea, then verse 22 says he went up, he had gone up uh, and greeted the church. In other words, he had gone up to Jerusalem and ministered to the church, and then he went down to Antioch. And we spoke last time again that anytime you go to Jerusalem, anytime you go to Jerusalem, you always go what direction, church? Up. And when you leave Jerusalem, no matter what direction you go, what direction do you go? Down. It's not a topographical description. It's not a geographical description, but it is very much a theological or a spiritual understanding that when you're going to Jerusalem, it's always going up. When you leave Jerusalem, it's always going down. And so again, as Paul leaves Jerusalem, as he goes down out of Jerusalem, he actually goes straight north 
to Antioch. You and I know if from here in Casa Grande, if we go to Phoenix, we go up to Phoenix, don't we? Or if we go to Tucson, we go down to Tucson. Luke tells us that Paul actually stayed in Antioch for some time, but then he determined while he was there, he wanted to go back over the area that he had already ministered to, to again, uh, touch base with those churches, with those believers at that point in time. Verse 23 tells us, after some time he departed, he went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order to strengthen the disciples. Now that's where we stopped last time. So now as we're finishing up verse 18, we have this introduction of a man by the name of Apollos. Verse uh, 24 of chapter 18. Now a certain Jew named Apollos was born at Alexandria. He was an eloquent man and mighty in scriptures and he came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and we'll look at that more in just a moment. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. And so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Let's stop right there. Pretty much this is about all that we have written about Apollos, other than the fact that uh, the uh, Apostle Paul as he speaks of him in, in his letter to Corinth, speaks very highly of him. So again, Paul had a, a good relationship with Apollos by the time he's writing to the church there in Corinth. We understand from what Luke writes and even the uh, influence or the, the words, uh, the inference of what Paul gives us, that uh, he was, no doubt, he was an educated man. He was an eloquent speaker. He was fluent in the scriptures. He was an engaging speaker. And the very fact that Luke tells us that he was born in Alexandria, that actually gives us a little bit more information about Apollos. You see, Alexandria, that great city there on the north end of Egypt on the, on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, it was founded by Alexander the Great back in 332 BC, 300, uh, almost 400 years before the events that Luke is writing about here. Alexandria, a, a, a great city, it was second only to Rome uh, in importance and in power within the whole Roman Empire. That's how powerful Alexandria was. Again, the center of philosophy, the center of education for that whole region. The University of Alexandria, well known and even today spoken highly of. Uh, in the first century, it boasted over 700,000 volumes or scrolls that uh, again were there for people to look at and to read, to study. Uh, the people would actually move to Alexandria, not only to study or to work, but to just become part of the culture of Alexandria. For we know historically a very cosmopolitan culture that was there. And again, being located in Egypt, the major population were Egyptians, but there were also Greeks and Romans that were there in Alexandria. And believe it or not, one quarter of the population during the first century were actually Jews. There on the northern and what would be the eastern portion of Alexandria, there was actually the Jewish quarter. There were a lot of Jews there, and because there were so many Jews, they actually had a lot of influence, they had a lot of power. One of the other interesting things about Alexandria, and we won't go too long on this, but it also boasted the, the Pharaoh's lighthouse. 
Pharaoh's lighthouse was built around 250 BC. It was actually one of the tallest structures in the world, man-made structures in the world at that time, over 300 feet high. It actually became one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, all of that in Alexandria, and that's where Apollos comes from. And so when Luke gives us that description of Apollos being born in Alexandria, I think that he's telling us as, as the readers of this about, again, the, the caliber of that man. Yeah, an eloquent man, mighty in scriptures, but he comes from a very powerful, a very large, a very uh, well-educated city. Now, Luke also tells us that Apollos taught within the synagogue, and when he taught, Luke says he was fervent in spirit fervent in spirit. And the word there that Luke uses for fervent is actually the word zeo, zeo. And it carries with it the idea of uh, having a, a fervency, to, to be excited, to boiling over, even to the point of being on fire. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. you've heard guys talk like that. It's like they just draw your, I don't think anyone ever fell asleep when Apollos was teaching. Because again, he was just that engaging with his audience. We get our words uh, zealous and zeal and zealot from that very word. And that kind of gives you an idea of the very person of uh, Apollos as he's teaching and probably of his personality uh, as, as a whole. Well, Apollos was a man, uh, thorough understanding of the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, you do understand that. Great understanding of the Old Testament scriptures. And he had personally either been under the teachings of John the Baptist at one point in time, rather he had gone over to Judea and spent some time, or he had been under the teachings of one of the Jews in the area of Alexandria that had been under the teachings of John the Baptist. Um, for Apollos, there was this, this excitement about the fulfillment of God's promised Messiah coming to Israel. But you know what? He did not know the full story. When Luke says that he had been instructed in the ways of the Lord, yet he did not have the fullness of all that had taken place. He knew that there was a coming Messiah he knew that that Messiah was going to be the fulfillment of prophecy. He knew that it was the time for men everywhere to repent and prepare the way of the Lord. That was the teachings of John the Baptist. But remember, John was long gone before the completeness of the gospel came when Jesus was crucified and was raised from the dead. So again, what he knew, what he understood was only a part he received the baptism of John. And if you remember, that baptism was as a sign of repentance for unrighteousness. The Jews had many, many baptisms uh, all through their life. They had several baptisms they went through. Even when they came to worship, there were baptisms that they went to. Not a baptism that the water itself cleansing them. But once again, even when we do believers' baptism here, but that baptism itself, it doesn't have power in that water. What that water is, is a symbol of the reality that I have died to my old self and I've risen again to walk in Christ. But for John, that baptism was a little bit different. That baptism also declares, listen, I have surrendered my life to God. I want my old sin to be washed away by God 
but the understanding of the fulfillment of Jesus Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, the cleansing power of the blood of Christ, the acceptance of that payment for our sin being shown in the resurrection of Christ, they would have known nothing about that because all of that came after the point, again, of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Apollos apparently knew nothing of that completed work. You need to understand, he was, he was a good teacher. He had great enthusiasm even as he talked. He was a man of uh, undoubted great intellect, maybe even amazing intellect. Undoubtedly, he was highly educated. I believe he was a good equal with Paul at that point in time. He was gifted. He was an engaging teacher. No doubt he had great influence on his audiences as they heard him teach and as he proclaimed what he knew. And what he knew were the Old Testament scriptures. Even Luke tells us that his teachings as far as they were concerned, they, they were correct theologically. They were correct doctrinally as far as the Old Testament goes. But he still did not have the complete gospel. He didn't have it as he taught to the people. Neither did he have it really within his own life. Let me ask you, well, would that kind of a teaching change an individual's life? Shake your head this way. It's okay. Because he is telling you know what? You need to be prepared to meet God. You need to repent. You need to change your ways. That's, that's the message that John gave. Yes, that will change your life if you believe it. But the problem is it doesn't change it for eternity. Because all that is now is an outward change. I've determined I want to change my life. And so I'm no longer going to live that way. I'm going to live this way. They were even baptized. I repent from those things. And that baptism showed that they were repenting and being washed. The problem was at this point in time, the ability of a change was only temporary. It wasn't the message of the gospel. As a matter of fact, the message that Apollos preached was actually insignificant. It wasn't complete. It wasn't total. It's not insignificant, insufficient. I'm sorry. Insufficient. It was not total for what they needed. An insufficient gospel. It would be as, as though you and I, we received a letter. It was a certified letter. You even had to sign for it. And you, so you went in, you excitedly opened up the letter and it, it, it's a letter from the caretaker of the estate of your great uncle Clyde. Clyde died, okay? You, you knew that Clyde had some money, you just didn't know how much money Clyde had. You didn't think you'd ever have anything to do with it because he was your great uncle. Well, the caretaker of his estate lets you know in that letter, no, Clyde doesn't have any other heirs. As a matter of fact, he's leaving everything that he had to you. And he goes on to list the millions and millions of dollars that that great Uncle Clyde, you know that one that you really loved, uh, great Uncle Clyde had, all the millions he had, all the holdings that he had in various businesses, all the stocks and the bonds that were his, all the lands that he owned, all of those. The letter said, all of that is yours. All you, sim all you need to do is simply follow the instructions at the bottom of this letter. And you look down at the bottom of the letter and you find out that the bottom of the letter had been shredded by one of those machines in the post office. You have no idea now 
how to be able to receive all those promises. And that's kind of what Apollos' message was. All of these promises are ours. Great, how do I get them? Well, God's gonna give you all of these promises. They're all gonna be available to you. How do I get them? Apollos didn't know because that was the baptism of John. And so when we look at this, we understand, okay, all of these promises, Apollos' message, Apollos' teachings, I believe they're absolutely sincere. They were absolutely honest from all that he knew. But yet at the same time, they were totally insufficient for an eternal relationship with God because they were incomplete. I guess my question today is how many teachers right now through various churches, even through, I would say, parachurches, some places that call themselves churches, but yet they're really cults, they're not giving the complete gospel. They're giving only a portion. And people's lives, oh, they love God. They, they want to be a part, but there's nothing within the message that really is going to bring about a change in their lives. And so that insufficient gospel becomes no gospel at all. To proclaim God's love without the understanding of the sacrifice and the payment of Jesus, the the need for us to, to respond to that payment, guys, that's incomplete. If it's not speaking how we need to respond. To say that all we need to do even is to follow Jesus without also declaring our need to repent and to surrender all to him, guys, guess what? That's incomplete. Oh, I follow Jesus. He's he's a great model for me to live my life after. No, he didn't come to be a model for you. He didn't come to be just a a personality that you would look at his life and say, there's a good man, I wanna live like that. To tell people that we, oh, all you have to do is just simply turn over a new leaf. Just don't live that way, start living that way. Stop doing all that bad stuff and start doing all this good stuff. To tell people to do that without a call to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in your life, that surrendering of our lives. Guys, that message is incomplete. Even when we tell folks to, oh, you just need to love your neighbor. You just need to treat people with great love and respect because they are God's creation. And if you just love your neighbor as yourself, then everything's going to be absolutely wonderful. You know, and if you would just read your Bible more. Oh, and and don't forget, you need to come to church more. Oh, and by the way, when they pass the, uh, the, the basket or the plate, oh, you need to be sure and give more. All of those things, it becomes incomplete because they're not speaking of the fact and the understanding that our sin has been paid for by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And because of that, when we come to receive that, that we are redeemed from the very wrath of God, it is already against our lives. We're redeemed from that because Christ took our place. Guys, if that's not part of the gospel message that people are hearing, then you know what? 
the message is insufficient and it is not the gospel at all. That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David has been teaching through the book of Acts, introducing you to the early church and how they were radically changed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can listen to more editions of The Open Word. Here's Pastor David. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Would you like to listen to more of them? Well, just visit theopenword.com. You'll be directed to our Facebook page where we're adding all of my previous messages for you to listen to for free. Be sure to like and follow that page and feel free to share it with your friends. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close and ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. Would you pray for us and for our listeners? We know the enemy attempts to hinder the truth of the gospel from being spread. He will stop at no cost to prevent even one heart from turning to Jesus. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Do you live in Casa Grande? If so, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Directions can be found at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks again for tuning in and for praying for the open word.